0: parents, buckle up. Last time we did this, Kent was preaching, and Kent is considerate. Um, <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rick. I am called the pastor here once in a while, the lead pastor. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Psalms. That's where we're at over the next several weeks. Um, and as you're doing that, uh, there's a couple things I want to kind of get in front of you. Um, Kent said this earlier, but um, just in case you, uh, you know, what is it? We have to hear things, what, seven times before we hear them once? So um, if if you're visiting here the first time, or maybe it's the sixth time, I know, uh, listen, I'm, there's a lot of people visiting here for the first time this morning, and, and you're interested in in anything, like you want to get to know us a little bit better, you want to um, hear what's going on in the church, that QR code on your, in the back of your bulletin is where to start. That kind of sends you to a little form um, we promise to not spam you or to, you know, send you anything you don't want. Just, um, it is really helpful if you, we had a, we had a, something happened a couple of weeks ago when the snow happened that, um, you know, someone who, who wasn't yet on our email list didn't, didn't get the word on something, you know? And so if you want to hear about that, that's, that's how you do that. It's pretty, pretty simple. Um, but we would love to have you on that. And the other thing I wanted to, um, kind of keep in front of you, um, is that we have promised over the course of, um, well, since we started this entire process of searching for a permanent home, we've been, Holy Cross has been worshiping in this place um, since 2009 at least. Well, as Holy Cross, we've been worshiping here since 2009. Uh, But we have a a group of people called our facility working group who's like looking for stuff and all that. Um, And and, um, just wanted to let you know that they are working on something in particular, here and uh, it's an intriguing possibility. We will let you know as soon as we know stuff. We're going to get it out in front of you. Uh, So, but I just wanted to help you to know that that is to be expecting that information. It's going to be coming. So we are taking the next uh, several weeks till the summer, working through a particular set of Psalms. And some of you were here last week Many of you weren't, but if you were, you'll remember the, one of the things I said about the Psalms that makes them so different from a lot of other things, a lot of other books in the Bible is that they're poetry and most of us don't really like poetry. If we're being honest, like that was the part of our English class that we kind of checked out on. Some of us have college had the Norton anthology and we're like, just ripped out those sections because we don't know what to do with it. It speaks to us differently. It, It intends to engage us emotively. Some of us in this room are not very comfortable with that. We don't like that, you know, for whatever reason, the, the idea that the Bible would actually not just deal with what we're to believe and what we're to do, but actually also is working on how we are to feel about certain things. Oof, I don't know, right? And, and, it, and it also, one of the things that we're going to see this morning is that one of the ways that the Psalter, which is the entire set of Psalms and particular ones we're going to be looking at, one of the ways that they do this is by inviting us to kind of enter into it to place ourselves in it, to let the, the words of these Psalms become not just our words, but kind of indicative of our experience. And so that is what we're going to be seeing this morning. If you have uh, your place, our habit here is to stand. So if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I think it'll be behind me. Yeah, we're in Psalm 121 this morning. Let me just remind us, this, this book is not something the church picked for itself. This is God's word. And as you hear it, and many of you are going to be familiar with what's up there, the danger for us is to just kind of gloss over this time. But God's word is living and active, and it changes us. And so I'd invite you to hear it and receive it in that way. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever more. This is God's word. He gives it to us so that we would flourish. Would you pray with me? Jesus, reign over this time. Let your word go deep into our hearts and let everything that is of you, your life, your death, your resurrection, your work, your character, everything, come to the forefront. Let everything else fall away. Jesus, you alone hold the words of eternal life. Speak, your servants are listening. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Have a seat. So last week, we started this journey, ironically enough, this journey through the Psalms of Ascent. That is a group of 15 psalms from 120 to 134. And, and what these psalms are doing, if you remember, part of what they are doing is they are meant to be sung. They are meant to be sung by those who are heading to Jerusalem for celebrations like Passover, like the Feast of Tabernacles, these different annual feasts. And they were, they were pilgrim songs. And what you also may remember, and I'm just... You probably don't. I'm, I'm trying to help us review. The other thing that we found out and what we saw is that these psalms are grouped in groups of three. So 120 to 122, um, one, um, 123 to 125, and so on and so forth. The first one of those, it gives us this kind of sense of distress. The second is kind of how the Lord is providing on the way. And the third one in each of these groups gives us how it is, the celebration of what happens when we've arrived. Okay, it's how these kind of work out. So last week we got the situation of distress, and this week we get God's presence on the journey. But this raises a question for us today. What journey? (laughs) What journey? What is this thing that we're supposed to be going on? And where does God meet us in it? And this psalm speaks to that, okay? So um, we're going to be looking at this in, in a few different ways this morning. There's an outline in your bulletin if you are a note taker. If you're, if you're new to Presbyterianism, that is how Presbyterians, amen, we write notes, um, and if that's weird to you, just amen. I'm fine with that if you want to do that, no pressure though, okay? So anyway, uh, but there are notes there, if you don't want it, don't worry about it, just leave it, okay? Now, let's begin with the problems and the foundation, okay? Look down at verse 1. Uh, if you grew up in church, uh, this, this psalm is probably super familiar to you. Right? There have been songs written using the language here. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, we had to learn how to sing this song in Hebrew. No, I'm not going to do it for you, but I do remember it, okay? Um, and I'm not going to do it because there's a Hebrew scholar in the room, and I will feel stupid if I get it wrong. So, um, uh, anyway, uh, but, you know, uh, some of you memorize this in the, in the King James, right? I lift my eyes up to the hills whence cometh my help, you know? thankfully we don't speak like that anymore, but but it's stuck in your head, right? So look at verse one. He says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Now, all right, now what's going on? Why the hills? Okay, now uh, scholars aren't completely solidified on this, but more than likely what most people think is like when you are on the road, okay, in a caravan um, and, and you are traveling from one place to the next, if you were to lift your eyes up to the hills, that would be because that is where the danger would be coming from, Okay. Again, uh, no police, there, there's no, there's no um, kind of overarching group that kind of keeps order in, the, in, in Israel during this time besides uh, the king. And, and that's, that's, you know, funny. He's in Jerusalem, you're on your way there. So if there are bandits, there are people that are going to try and prey on you. They are going to find their way to you by seeing you coming, by staying in the hills, and then rushing down to come and get you. So this is talking about dangers on the road. So let me connect it with what we talked about last week in Psalm 120. Remember the, the guy said that he, he's tired of d- dwelling in, uh, in Meshach. He's tired of living in Kedar, which we saw, said was funny because they're two about as geographically distant points as you can get in the ancient Near East. Um, and yet what that means is there is a journey that has begun. You had this period of distress. I'm I'm not like who I'm living around. This is weird. I, I'm kind of uh, frustrated by it. And now we're in the midst of this journey. And the, the idea of danger, the possibility of danger is high. So he says, where does my help come from? That word help is really important. Um, If you were to kind of search for it, kind of look it up in the Old Testament, see how it's been used. Most often when it talks about help, it's talking, especially in relation to God, it's talking about God doing an act of deliverance. I'm in trouble. I need saving. And remember, we're talking about saving. Probably not in their mindset, ultimately, is this idea of um, heavenly saving. It's like, my life is in trouble. I need help right now, and God is the one who is my help. He is my helper. Okay, so when the, the when the the guy writes the psalm, which which people call the psalmist, why the what the psalmist is saying he's basically asking, who is going to save me? I look up, I see danger, and who will come and rescue me? Who is going to save me? Now look at how he answers this. Look down at verse two. My help comes from. The Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, now if you were here last week, you remember this. Maybe uh, you've you've heard this before. Again, I'm going to say it again because it's super important. Every time we see the word Lord in all capital letters, that is a specific name of God. It's a very particular name of God. There's there's a bunch of words in uh, Hebrew, in the Old Testament, for God. There are different ways in which it's said. Sometimes in your translation, it'll just say God. Sometimes it'll say Lord, but not with all capitals. These are all different ways of translating. Why does this matter, Rick? Why are you talking about translation? Uh, Because that particular name is important because it is the name Yahweh. And the name Yahweh is the name of God that is only given to his people to call him. In other words, this name brings with it not just you know, it's not it's just like saying Kent. It would be like if the, the name Kent brought with it an entire story. I guess it does. Yeah, about Africa. Yeah, brings with it an entire story. But but this is to bring with it an entire story, not just of a people, but of who God is, what he's up to, and why he's doing what he's doing. It is the covenant name of God. And, and if, that, if that language is not familiar to you, don't worry, I'm getting into that. Because in the beginning, when the world got messed up, when we messed it up, God made a promise. And his promise was, I'm going to fix what you broke. We call this the covenant of grace. And it is then in Genesis 3.15 that he makes this promise. And it is played out the entire way through scripture until we get to Revelation 21.22. And, and he remakes the world. It is God saying, you broke the world, you broke yourselves, you betrayed me, you turned away from me. But I'm going to fix this. And it's a covenant. It's a promise-bound relationship. And throughout time, then he is working that out through the Old Testament until we get to Jesus. And we'll, we'll come into that again. And so evoking the name of the Lord who is my help. The, my help comes from the Lord is to say, the Lord who makes promises and keeps them. The Lord who promised to rescue me, not just from, from the, the evils of the world, but the evil in me. He is the one who is my Help, And that word help is used three times in the remainder of this passage. It's a big word. It's an important word. My help comes from the Lord, keeps being your your help. And what's interesting is he is very specific. My help comes from the Lord, and then he lays him out as the creator. Okay? Why is that important? Well, it's important for this reason. In the ancient world, a lot like today... There were bunches of ideas on how everything came to be. There were ideas about how it came to be because, um, because gods were fighting and as the gods were fighting, they had this kind of uh, crazy conflict and out of the conflict came creation, which if that's your way of looking at things, then your view of creation ultimately is it is born of conflict. It's going to bring you pain and we just need to get through it. That sounds familiar. Some of us hold that view. We didn't even know that's where it came from. It came from a dude named Baal. You just never knew that. Um, but others thought that it was, it was um, you had the creator God, and, and that was kind of not so good, the creation not so good. But then you had this other God who came in, kind of made the spirit and the spiritual. And so the hope there from those folks is that this is someone who is going to be able to, um, or creation is something that you have to escape, that you have to transcend that you have to get away from. Ultimately, what makes you more, and what puts you on a better path is the less and less attached to the material you can be. And that sounds familiar too, right? Because some of us think that that's Christian and we hold to that. Like, isn't that about getting to heaven and great by and by and playing harps in the clouds? No, it actually has nothing to do with Christianity. Sorry. Uh, but this is really important because when he says creator of heaven and earth, what he is saying is the God who rescues, the God who redeems, the God who makes promises is the same God who created all things, that all things were created good and that God is here to fix, again, what we broke. He is the creator, which means he is also sovereign over it, okay? Now let's look at a, a different kind of help. Look down at verses three to six. He says this, he will not let your foot be moved. He keeps, you; will not slumber. He's not going to slumber. He's not going to sleep. He's your keeper. Keeper, keeper, keeper. More keeping. There's lots of keeper. There's shade, sun, moon, all this stuff. Okay, so here's here's what this is talking about. He will not let your foot be moved. Literally what it means is he's not going to let you slip. Now, when you're on a a journey, right, obviously um, your foot slipping is kind of metaphorical for um, just accidental problems. Some things that happen. It's not really you chose to do it, your foot just slipped, right? It's not that big deal, it's careless action. Which is to say, he's going to keep you even from your carelessness. And then he keeps talking about this keeping. Lord's your keeper, he who keeps Israel. Right? The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord yeah, keep your coming out and going. This is, this is a word that, obviously, if, if you see a word in the Bible, and especially in, a, in one passage, repeated this many times, six times, right? I think it's six times. Yeah, six times. If, if you see a, pa- a word in a passage in the, in the span of like eight verses repeated six times, you go, you know what? There's something about that word. That, that, that is what actually is important here. So what is this keeping? Well, it's, it's a word that's been used before. You probably hear it if you're here uh, consistently enough, or in a lot of churches, you hear it at the end of services, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. Same word, same word in the Hebrew. Um, it's the same word that in, in the garden, God used to, to uh, describe what he put Adam there to do. He was to cultivate the garden and keep it. That's weird. What does that mean? Like it's his property? No, to keep means to guard, to protect to make sure it, it flourishes, to see it work out the way it was supposed to do. That's what this word means. That when it says, the Lord is your keeper, he who keeps Israel, what he's talking about is the idea of guarding, of of sheltering, of of protecting. He's a protector. Now look at the issue of sleeping and slumbering. Because if you have a guard, if you have a keeper, that's really good, right? I mean, some of us would really love to have like, the bodyguard walking behind us all the time. The problem is that guy's got to sleep once in a while. There's nobody to take up the next shift. Like, you're vulnerable. And so it's very important when he says that he doesn't sleep. The whole point is, if, if he did, then some of your circumstances could go unattended. There would be certain things that slip through the cracks. Certain things that God might be too busy for, not really watching out for, things that get past his attention. But the Lord, your keeper, he does not slumber. He does not sleep. Which means, listen, because I know this is hard. Many of us, many of us, what I just said is really echoes in our thoughts. Like God is way too busy for little old me. But what was said was, none of your circumstances will go unattended. Nothing is happening that kind of, Misses his notice. Didn't see that coming. You know, like nothing is happening in that sense. Okay, so what does it mean to have the Lord as your keeper? We've been told he's the creator, but what about keeper? Well, like I said, it basically means that he is the protector, the one who keeps you from evil. And I know that's hard for us to believe, and that is hard for us to believe because we we are kind of hardwired now as humans, Christian or not, you're hardwired to believe that God is actually not someone who protects you, but someone that you probably need protection from, right? Way back in the garden, the lie was not eat the fruit and get smart. The lie was you can't trust God. He's not out for your good. He's holding you back. He doesn't have your best in his intentions. In fact, he knows that if you turn from him, you're going to be like him. He sees you as a threat. He sees you as a rival. And so it's better if you turn away. You see, the problem in the garden was not, oh, like, here's a magic fruit. No one ever said the fruit was, the only person who ever said the fruit was magic was the snake, okay? The problem was, are you going to depend on God or are, you going to see, or are you going to be fooled into the idea that you have to, can and have to, depend on yourself? And So when we come across circumstances in our life, whether it's our foot slipping or evil that's either being done to us or stuff that's coming out in us, our first response will always be, generally, how do I figure this out? Because we don't believe that God is our keeper. And he's so much our keeper, apparently, that the sun and the moon aren't going to get on us. Now, scholars will tell you that the sun part is pretty easy. I think we all get it. You live in a desert, it would be really nice to have an umbrella, right? Really nice to have a shade because it gets hot. Parasol, I guess that's what you would call it. Um, Don't walk around with one of those. They're weird. But it would be nice to have one. The moon thing sounds weird, except we have to remember that in the ancient world, um, a lot of people believed that uh, too much exposure to the moon made you crazy, right? Thus, the idea of being a lunatic, right? Lunar, luna, the moon. Um, and now, which raises an interesting point. Here's an aside. I just want to say this really quick. Uh, the Bible often speaks in ways that the culture of the day would understand, which is really good. It's really good for us to understand that God will speak to us in ways that make sense to us. And it does so without necessarily giving an evaluation of that idea. Okay, So if you're familiar with the New Testament, there's this passage in this little tiny book called Jude. And in the book of Jude, there's this passage where where, uh, apparently an angel is arguing with Satan over the body of Moses. And, And that's not found in the Bible. And so a lot of people struggle with that. Like, well, does this mean that this really happened? And why is Satan arguing over a body? That doesn't make any sense. Well, he's using that story to illustrate something without even making a comment on its truthfulness. He's not saying, well, you know, this actually happened. What he's saying is, you know, it's like that story you know. Of this happening, or Jesus, you know, like when um, when he's talking about, or, uh, when he's talking about some of his his parables, or or the Old Testament talking about other gods, or or uh, you know, giant monsters, or something like that. It's it's he's meeting us where we are. Okay, so here's here's what's totally interesting. Let me get back to this passage. Here's what's totally interesting. Three times in Psalm one twenty one is the Lord mentioned. And each of those times, we're given a different aspect. He's mentioned in three very different roles. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He's creator. The Lord is your keeper. Shade on your right hand. He's going to keep you from all evil, right? That's more of that protector, even redeemer on, in some ways. And then he's going to be your constant companion, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth from forevermore. We'll get to that here in a second. But that that gives this sense of like constant uh, being with. Three very different aspects of what God does, and yet three things that if we were to kind of project into the New Testament, what we'd find is that these are three different roles uh, that are taken up by the three persons of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's get to the last of those, that companionship. Look down in verses 7 to 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Is that your experience? I really know it's not. I know some of y'all's stories. Some of y'all are here in this room because of some things that were not very great that were happening in your life and you wandered in here. The Lord will keep you from all evil? See, there's a couple ways that we can get from this. Um, There's that false bill of sale that some of us were given. Which is to say that, you know, you maybe you were a non-Christian uh, for a long time. And then someone tried to convince you that, you know, because your circumstances were bad, what you really needed was Jesus and then all your circumstances would go better. And so you're like, that sounds good. Because it does. Like, how, who wouldn't be okay with that? Like, hey, you trust in Jesus and life goes well for you. Sign me up. And then you did. And then it didn't you're like, the guy on TV said, you know, the guy with the flashy suit and the, and the plane said, but this didn't happen. I don't get it. So you can be talking about circumstantial. He's going to keep you from all circumstantial evil. That could be possible. I mean, it's not many of our experiences, if any of us. So, And it wasn't Jesus' experience, which means... That's odd. And it certainly wasn't the Apostle Paul's experience. It wasn't Peter's experience. It wasn't really any of the early Christians' experience. So it's odd for us to go, well, that must be what this means. And it wasn't the experience of any of this, of Old Testament believers either. Because it's not like their lives went well. So what exactly are we getting at here? Well, listen. When you talk about keeping, he's going to keep your going out and your coming in, this is speaking to a constant presence. Having a keeper who keeps you and you're going out and coming in is like having a constant person watching your back. And what ultimately this is talking about is, it, it, gets, it harkens back to something that was said uh, by, this, by this Old Testament, um, it's called a patriarch. Um, he, perhaps you've, you've heard of him, he had a nice multicolored coat. Had a bad experience where his brothers kind of turned on him, threw him in a well. Went bad. But one of the things he said to them, when, he, when it's finally revealed, his brothers realize who he is in the story. And he's made it all the way to the top of the food chain in Egypt. Like he is, he is the, the guy. He's in charge of everything except Pharaoh. And they realize this is what's happening. They're scared because he's going to kill us. And he says, no, 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 no. You see, you intended the, that act for evil. But God intended it for good. That circumstantial evil that you went through, that it's not like God wasn't actually in control over that, and that in it, though you didn't see it at the time, and frankly, if we're being honest, we may not ever exactly see it, that God's intention in that was not for evil. He was keeping you for the good. Now, does that make the circumstances less painful? <laughs> no. To so make them easier to go through? Uh. Not initially. Is is pastor up here saying that what we should say is, you know, like something really bad happens. I lose my job, death in the family, you know, um, something terrible. And and how are you doing, brother? Well, God is good. (sighs) I mean, you can say that. Don't get me wrong. I, I might send you to someone for a prescription. That's not really probably what's going on in your heart. That's what you think you have to say. But the fact that it's difficult for us to get to experientially does not make it less true. And again, there are some of you here in this room that you could speak to that if I let you. And sometimes those things that seem to be meant for evil, God, in some way, turned them for good. It's kind of what he does. It's what redemption is. And We were talking about this around the dinner table the other night. Redemption is not taking all the bad stuff and erasing it. It's not going like, well, we had all this bad stuff. It's gone now. No, it's, it's God takes it. He somehow uses it for good, and then he turns it towards that, the things that harm the world, and he uses it. He's like, now this is my weapon against darkness. I'm going to take those things that were, that, that were so terrible in your life. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to now make them something that I will use in the lives of other people. I've kept you from evil. And lastly, it is something that is forever, from this time forth and forevermore, which is to say God is not, there's no um, expiration date on this care. Now, that's a lot of talking. I'm going to do a little bit more. All right, let's bring it home. Um, What I love about these psalms is that when they say, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? What it does not give you in exactness is what you need help with. I love that. And the reason why I love that is because it allows you, in some measure, to inhabit the psalm. It doesn't say, I needed help from bandits because they're coming down off the mountain. Do we think that's probably what it's about? Yeah, we think it's what it's about, but it wasn't specific. Why? Because then it allows you. Where does my help come from? It's the same way that in, um, when, uh, when Jesus gave his story, his story of the prodigal son. You're familiar with that? Two brothers, right? First brother goes off and lives with the pigs and comes to his senses. And the other brother is really mad. He's just as lost as the younger one. He wants the dad's stuff and not the dad. And he's out. And, and the, the story ends with the father asking the older brother a question and we never get the answer to it. Or the book of Jonah, maybe you're familiar with that, Jonah and the big fish. The book of Jonah ends with God asking Jonah a question and we never get his answer. And the reason is not because it doesn't really matter what Jonah said. It doesn't matter what the older brother said. The question is, what are you going to say? And it's the same thing here. So let me ask you a question. What are your hills? What are your mountains? Where are the threats in your life? And, And by that, I don't mean like, The government. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, the threat on the way, on your journey with God, the the thing that is getting in the way, or the thing that is threatening your walk with Jesus, your pilgrimage in that sense. Maybe it's outside stuff. Maybe it's persecution, hardship. But maybe, and more than likely, especially in this room, it's not external forces, is it? It's internal ones. Maybe it's things like addictions, apathy, idols. Where is your trouble coming from? And this is important because if you don't know where it is coming from, you can't address it. And you can't address what is holding you back in your walk with Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, not everybody is, but if you're not a Christian here this morning, my guess is when I say what's holding you back from a walk with Jesus, you're thinking like data. I need more, more information. The whole Jesus thing, I, it's just hard to believe. And, and, um, and there's, when you do, when we, when we do that, because I did that, listen, I've not been, I didn't grow up in the church, so I remember having the same conversations. And when we do that, the reality is what we're trying to say is that before I'm, before I'll believe, I need to get all my doubts answered. Let me, let me give you a little secret, let you in on something. Christians have doubts we do. Frankly, uh, if you didn't, Christian, uh, you wouldn't sin. Why do we sin? More than often than not, because we doubt God's provision, his care, or his ability to do something for us that we're, we go to ourselves. And so we have doubts. Becoming a Christian, believing in Jesus, placing your faith in Jesus is not about necessarily removing all doubt. It's about him becoming bigger than those doubts. And so, here's, 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 here's the thing. If I'm being honest, and, and that is something I do. Um, I say honest, other people say too direct. But if I'm being honest, I bet what's holding you back isn't, isn't data. It's simply not wanting to believe. Because let's be honest. Putting your faith in Jesus is not like believing in aliens. Right? You can believe in aliens if you, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think so, but who knows? But it doesn't change anything. I don't know, maybe you build a bunker. Other than that, it doesn't change anything. Oh, there's aliens. Oh, great. Okay. But if you have to put your faith in Jesus, it changes everything. It means you're no longer you, yours. It means there's someone else who lays claim on you. You have to listen to what he says about your life. You have to, like, depend on him. Even when it's scary, it's like, wait a minute. I'm not the one in control of things. It has to change everything. So let's be honest. I mean, data is a convenient out when the reality is I just don't want to. I get it. I understand that. Totally get that. But for others of us here in this room, for those of us that are Christians, where where is the trouble coming from? Where do you need help from? Because I would guess that most of us, when we say, what is the thing that's getting in our way of our relationship with Jesus, the way that we're progressing on this walk, where is the trouble, where do I need help from? We'd say like busyness, laziness, I just can't get out of bed in the morning, or the kids, right? And if you're a kid, you're like my parents. Like there's always that thing. But here's what I do know about you, even though I may not know you. Every one of us, no matter how busy we are, no matter how lazy we think we are, we all make time for what's important. There's not a one, no one of us in this room who, if there's something, you know, if, if, if the new season of whatever comes out, you're not making time to binge watch that thing, right? Ted Lasso comes out, I'm in. Like, don't call me. I, I will not be available for a while. I'll be watching some Ted Lasso, Okay. What is holding you back in your walk with Jesus? Is it something that you can't seem to get rid of? Is it a porn habit? Is it drinking too much? Is it obsessing about your finances? Is it worrying about what everyone else thinks around you? What are they going to think of me if they find out I'm a Christian? What are they going to, what are they going to, I have to mold my beliefs, my practices, my everything around other people. What is it? And this is important because. The reason that Psalm 121 says that the the pilgrim is lifting his eyes to the hills is because of the threat that there is something in those hills that will put, not, not make your journey a little less comfortable, that will put an end to it. That will put an end to it. Do you believe it's actually that serious? Or do you think you are in control of it? Not a big deal you have plenty of time to get it straight. Listen, if there is something in you, listen to me, I need eyes. If there is something and you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, just listen in, this is fun. Um, if you're a Christian here this morning and you know that there is something holding you back from your walk with Jesus, you are not in control of it. It's in control of you. You are in bondage. You can't just get rid of it or make it stop. You need a helper. You need a keeper. And that's where Jesus comes in. You want to know what one of the biggest lies is that we as Christians believe? We tend to believe that we became Christians because we were helpless. But now we're good. Like, we were powerless. But now we're good. We were needy. Now we're fine. Jesus is at work. God is good all the time. Don't need him as much anymore. As if progression in the Christian life is about needing God less and less and less. When in fact, if we're to believe the problem is our independence from him in the first place, then the progression in the Christian life should be us needing him more and more and more until it's constant. You aren't able and this psalm speaks to that. Where does your help come from? It isn't from you. It isn't from your new nature. <laughs> it isn't from your inner strength. It is from the Lord. So what does it mean? Well, it means when you're convicted of ignoring your walk with Jesus, your new discipline plan is the wrong first step. I'm not saying we don't do that eventually. Like you, I'm a big planner. Like you got to have a plan. You gotta have this, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. But it's the wrong first step. If you think, if you're coming into your Christian life and you're seeing something that is that is hindering it and it's holding you back, and you think to yourself, you know, all I gotta do, I just gotta get, I gotta get my act together. No. You will be back in that place minutes, days, weeks. I guarantee you it won't be months. I mean, some of y'all are really self-disciplined, so it might be a month. Way more disciplined than me, which isn't really saying much. But that is not what the problem is. Like I said, I'm not saying there's not a place for that. I'm just saying it's the wrong first step. The first step is repentance. But not just of the behavior. God, forgive me for not getting out of bed. Forgive me for not, for, uh, you know, looking at websites I should. Yes, I mean, you need forgiveness for that. But the question is, why did you do it in the first place? Where is your motivation coming from? Why is it? Some of us in this room are way more likely to run to pornography than Jesus. Why is that? Why is it that you need to get your finances straight before you're willing to sit down with your Bible? Why is it that you're willing to go against what Jesus says just to make sure people don't think you're weird or that your friends don't abandon you? Can I suggest, it's just a suggestion, can I suggest it's because you're looking to those things to be your help? Those things to be your keeper, those things to make life right for you, instead of to Jesus? The issue isn't just needing to repent of a behavior, the issue is that you also need to repent of what's behind the behavior in the first place. And look, I've been there, but here's the thing that always gets me about this, and and it still is the way God gets my attention at times. How much is enough? How much is enough, right? How much porn before you're okay? How much acceptance before you finally feel free to be you instead of everyone else? How much financial security before you don't live in fear? I know some of you are thinking, just a little bit more, right? It's never enough. It's never enough. And it can't be enough because that's not your problem. The problem isn't, My finances aren't secure enough. That's why my life is the way it is. And I'm crazy. Like the problem is not, I just, I just need a way to check out of things. That's not the problem. The problem is you're trying to fill with this stuff. What God is the one who was made to fill. The only place that this stuff can come from is from Jesus. You aren't looking for a certain amount in your bank account. You're looking to be provided for. You're not looking for acceptance from others. You want, to be, you want to know that you are fully accepted. Not just by the person in the row next to you, but like fully. You aren't looking for men or women to please you. You want intimacy without risk of harm. And those things can only come from Jesus. And I know as soon as I say that, you're like, Sunday school answer. I know it's a squirrel, but it sound, you know, I know it's Jesus. It sounds an awful lot like a squirrel. Like, this is not a Sunday school answer. This is not a Sunday school answer. You want, listen, friends, you want acceptance. I want acceptance because at root, we know I'm not okay. And what will others do when they find out I'm not okay? That is why we want acceptance. You want intimacy because you feel alienated from others. You don't, you, it's very odd for you to think about a circumstance in which you can be fully known and fully loved at the same time. You want security because you know death is coming and you can't keep it back. And these are all of the things that we feel because at root, our relationship with God has been fractured. And so what we need is not ultimately to get our stuff together, to get a better plan in place. It's like we have to return to Jesus. We have to come back to him and say, you know what? I've been looking to these things to give me what only you can bring. I want acceptance with others with what I really need is to believe and to rest in the fact that I am accepted by God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Those things will never be enough because they can never fill the size of the hole that you have. Only God can. And Jesus came to live, die, and rise again to make you right before God, which is to say accepted. He came to be the answer for your sins so you could be fully known and fully loved exactly as you are. And he came to overcome death so there's no ultimate harm that can come to you. So that you can be restored to the life, the fullness of the life that you were made for. He is the answer. So what does this mean? It means when we look to the hills and we see that danger, when we see that thing that's coming, instead of turning to a plan for change, getting it better this time. Oh, how many times I've said that. I'll get it better this time. This time it'll be different. No, it's not. Just turn to Jesus. Admit you can't get it straight. Admit that you need a helper, a keeper, someone to provide shade and to keep you from all evil. And when I say all evil, I also mean the evil that still resides in you and in me. He is the one who keeps you on the pilgrimage, which is why we need to stay with him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, have mercy on us. And Lord, I pray that you would, You give us repentance, not just for the behaviors, but for the fact, oftentimes, it's not just the the sin that we're doing, it's our attempts at having our own righteousness afterwards that we need to repent of. Help us in that, Lord. Be our helper, be our keeper. And if we need convincing of your not just willingness to do that, but desire to be that, we ask for that as well. We look to you, creator of heaven and earth, the one who won't let our foot slip. We ask that you would be our keeper from this time forth and forevermore. In Christ's name, amen.